Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers and students, people looking to discover more about superhero movies and the world because both are awesome. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, and our scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, Lois, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the Man of Steel... Superman! Possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent. The Fleischer Superman cartoons. And yes, there will be spoilers from almost 100 years ago. (laughs) They're public domain by now. Skyler, I I need to... I need to proofread your additions because I'm. I was expecting, uh, uh, and this is a job for Superman. The one line that is spoken in pretty much every single episode. Every single episode. That's that is truth. But in my new uh, role as a copy editor, I have to keep things in the same tense. So. Oh, oh, I don't care. It's music. Damn, about your parallelism. Whether, whether it's. Money, comic books, music, a job for Superman or science. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. There's there's too many qualifiers for that. Don't you <laughs> fucking talk to me about editing. I uh, there. <laughs> what sounds better? I mean, come on. Um, anyway. <laughs> Here's the thing. This <laughs> from this cartoon, the thing that stuck out to me even more than this looks like a job for Superman is how just randomly angry Clark would get when Lois showed up, especially in the second episode with the robots. Oh, I think, I thought he always had like a little wink and charm at her, don't you? Of just like, she would blow him off instantaneously, and then he'd just be like, oh, I'll catch up. Like, (laughs) you don't know that I can just run past this car, do you? Or that like, you just shut me behind a door, but I can break this door open. (laughs) <laughs> Lois. Usually, but there's a v- pretty standout moment in one of the early episodes that we'll probably discuss later. <laughs> um, okay, so the Fleischer Superman cartoons. Let's get this out of the way. They are amazing. Holy cow. If you have not spent the two hours... Um, or even or even just one hour. Watch watch four of them, uh, five of them. That's like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It's worth your time, especially if you give a hoot about Superman, animation, comic book history in general, or animation history, Max Fleischer, Walt Disney, any of these topics. Things stem from these cartoons. Holy cow. Um, 
if you've seen Snow White, you need to see this. <laughs> because these are some fantastic... Like, animation like this hasn't been... Was not, wasn't matched until 50 years later. That's how astounding these things are. Um, I mean, sure, the plots or whatever. They're just... They're, they're animated comic books, but animated in such an amazing, charming way that you just can't help but just be touched by history. Popcorn Skyler. All right. I did not realize how astonishing, really, the animation behind these cartoons were until I took a second look at them. I remember watching them back when I was a kid, and it was like, yeah, I know, they're like a cheap version of the 90s Batman. But little did I realize they are just a step below but the 90s Batman, which there's 50 years of history in there. They're so richly detailed and their voice acting and just the level of kind of what am I trying to say here the depth behind each drawing is amazing I can't even imagine how long these things took to uh, animate in 1941 or 42 that's crazy to think about and yeah they are really silly in that Lois is Okay, I can't even pick on Lois because, like, everything about these is just silly and verging on racist in some instances. But they are awesome. It's a product of the times. It certainly is. You can't deny that. But, no, I mean, this is is something you can really appreciate as a uh, comic book fan. So, absolutely. Check them out when you get the the chance to do so because they're free. (laughs) Public domain, baby. What did you think, Ben? I think that this is some, it's my favorite super officially. It's so good. Um, yes, it is a little routine. These cartoons are great. They're beautifully animated. They get a little racist about halfway through, but if you can, you know, just push past that, they're fun, kind of campy adventures, and it's, it's, they're just perfect. I like the descriptor of routine. I think that is that is pretty perfect of just everything yeah. a set. <laughs> it's it's the same episode just in different settings and with different villains. But, <laughs> but it's it's like eating mashed potatoes. I'll never get <laughs> sick of mashed potatoes or grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> I loved how they were all Lex Luthor, but none of them were Lex Luthor. All right, let's move on to the next topic. The money stats. Believe it or not, there are money stats involved in this venture. There's some really interesting money stats. Yes. The production budget of the pilot alone issued in 1941 was $50,000. All right. I want you to, you know, the equivalent of that in today's money that is like only a million, almost a million. <laughs> yeah, eight hundred thousand dollars. That's a healthy chunk of change. Now think of any cartoon that is getting eight hundred thousand dollars for one episode. Not uh, happening. Uh, That's a lot of toys sold. <laughs> um, the whole run was seventeen episodes, and after the pilot, every single one was about thirty thousand. So the entire Superman Fleischer cartoon ventures are equivalent to about $8 million today. $8 million public domain dollars. 
<laughs> that is how much it costs to make these. Someone could still be raking in money from these, I feel like. Well, uh, they own the merchandising rights to, like, model toys of that time. But, of course, all the episodes are free on the Internet Archive. Or YouTube. Or YouTube. It's yeah, public it's domain, so... Basically, the Internet Archive. Um, so how, how these, these got made is they staffed more than 250 artists at Fleischer Studios in New York and Miami, uh, one of which, those artists, was the famous Jack the King Kirby. He hated that job, by the way. Uh, the demand for quality cartoons was stupendous between Disney and Fleischer. Uh, this led to overinflated budgets. During the period these shorts were produced, the Fleischer brothers, Max and Dave, had borrowed so much money from their parent company, Paramount, that they no longer had shares in the company, so they both quit, went different ways, and Paramount rechristened the studio Famous Studios, which they maintained until 1967. Those are your money stats, but I want you to just 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 think eight. No, I don't. I sh we should have a comparative number. Like, how much do you think it costs to make an episode of The Simpsons? Let's be real. Um, Apparently, I, nothing because it will never be canceled. It. I mean, it makes money despite being hot garbage. So. Oh, really? I I would guess that the production budget for a single episode of like your average Cartoon Network schlock is like about a hundred thousand. Uh, okay, so apparently an episode of The Simpsons costs two million to make. Okay, I lied. What? <laughs> two million dollars to make one episode? According to an article from two thousand seven. So. Odds are it has gone up a bit. Um, Nickelodeon oh. animation shows are on average six hundred to seven hundred thousand per episode as of two thousand eleven. Hold on. So if you multiply that number by twenty two, twenty two episodes in a season, roughly, yeah. Dear Lord, that's some some crazy amount. I had no Fox. idea animation cost that much. Apparently not. I don't. I were or apparently so. Ignore me. Ignore me. <laughs> Fraser looking is apparently so. <laughs> I'm just in a negative mood. <laughs> so actually, in comparison, these weren't all that expensive, but at the time, nobody was putting up this amount of money for really any media project outside of feature films. Uh, because Gone with the Wind had just happened, and that cost a shit ton of money. <laughs> um, and so made a shit ton of money. And Well, that's the thing, is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which came out in 1938-39, was the highest-grossing film, feature-length film of all time for one year. An animated film was the highest. And then it got usurped by Gone with the Wind the year after. And Gone with the Wind, if we're counting inflation, has never been beaten. <laughs> Still the biggest. Okay, 
So let's move on to some little some little more history. There's a lot of rich history here, all right? So excuse me while I take you on a quick quick little tale. Normally I would talk about characters introduced or comic book baselines, but I'm going to just walk you through the Fleischer Superman cartoon's journey. So here's some history. Max Fleischer and Dave Fleischer of Fleischer Studios was a fierce war with Walt Disney and Disney Studios or Disney Productions. Fleischer was the first out of the gate with a new technology called rotoscoping, which produced tremendously lifelike animation. Um, basically, they would kind of trace people to create this tremendously fluid movement in their animation, which you see a lot in Superman. Uh, Disney fought back with producing the first cartoons that used both sound and then later Technicolor. Uh, Disney dealt a huge blow when it released Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in 1939, a box office blowout, which we talked about, and technological masterpiece that took six years to make. Uh, during those six years, it was considered Disney's folly because he just kept dumping money into this and nothing was coming out of it. It should only take about a year to create an animation project, less than a year, but it took him six for this one. Paramount, the competitor at the time, then demanded a feature-length cartoon from Fleischer Studios. Uh, Gulliver's Travels was their response. It was a hit, but nowhere near Snow White's fame. Uh, the demand for cartoons was so high at that point, they achieved a ridiculous budget for their next project, Superman. Which is there are... what this is about. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Yeah, this, it's the same Superman. Just wanted yes. to clarify. Mm. There are a total of 17 cartoons produced. Uh, they're about eight to nine minutes each. The first nine were created by Fleischer Studios. And then the subsequent eight were created by famous studios. All of the stories of the first nine are loosely based on science fiction adventures found in action comics. Uh, the shorts have a predictable style to them. So basically, Perry White informs the two top reporters there's trouble. Lois blows off Clark right away, the first chance she gets. And he usually just smiles coyly. The plot develops. Lois gets too close to the fire. Clark says, this is a job for Superman, and saves the day from, what have you, a rampaging dinosaur, falling buildings, meteors. Japanese stereotypes. Yes, Japanese stereotypes, robots. What was that third one? Robots? Yeah, more uh, robots. Lots of robots. Lots, lots of fucking robots. There's a King Kong at some point. <laughs> I mean, there's a dinosaur, for crying out loud. Uh, the next eight episodes were produced by Famous Studios, what Paramount renamed Fleischer Studios after the, both the Fleischer brothers left. The animation stays the same, but storylines lose that predictable style, kind of, and transform into World War II propaganda, where Superman fights the Japanese and Germans in different ways. Lois kind of steps out for a bit, too. And after that, we have some fun facts about the big episode, The Mechanical Monsters, uh, where the giant robots commit the bank robbery. 
apparently has an echoing influence in future works of such directors as Hayao Miyazaki, Kerry Conran of Sky Captain and The World of Tomorrow, uh, and Ben Edlund, creator of the animated series The Tick. That's just one scene. The, and all... What? I, I just want to add what we're talking about is that the design of that robot shows up in other directors' work. Mm-hmm. Well, even the even the whole scene, the way it plays out, is is almost the same. But yeah, in Miyazaki, he loved the design of that robot. He used him in his project Lupin Three. Uh, Castle in the Sky is the big one. Direct nod to it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Mark Hamill was in that movie. He did the English dub. Uh, no relation, but we know him of DC animated fame. Speaking of which. <laughs> That's that's the segue to that's say that's the segue into the next part of the outline. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I lost my place. You're right. Thank you for the segue. Because um, <laughs> that robot thing was just one scene. We're not talking about the overall beautiful animation that wasn't captured in fullness again until 1991's Batman the Animated Series, and that was 50 years later. Um. Also, I seem to recall that uh, that series had at least one direct nod to the robots of that scene. Uh, late in the series, there's an episode with Mr. Freeze. It's not Sub-Zero. It's like... Heart of Ice? No, it's the second one where the robot kidnaps him and takes him to like the crazy mad scientist's um, ocean world. Anyway, there's a robot tiger, that... Tiger? No, um... <laughs> we're nerds I'll, we know I'll the names <laughs> this is acceptable alright uh, we'll but, come but back there's to a ro- yeah there's a robot that breaks them out that looks pretty identical um, superstar artists like Alex Ross and Bruce Tim attribute to these Superman cartoons as primary inspirations in their works if you go and watch Spider-Man 1967 or even Marvel's current Avengers Assemble garbage and tell me, strictly on a technical basis, which is better, Superman's going to come out on top. Every time. Every time. Except possibly Batman animated series. but Yeah, that's like that. And I mean, honestly, no Spider-Man series can really hold a torch until you get to spectacular Spider-Man. Um, and even then, the animation is more simplistic. Stories, obviously, <laughs> incredible, <way> but um, <laughs> right. I would say that the Superman cartoon are also better than the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Ooh, okay. Easily. <laughs> We're just circle jerking the hell out of Superman Fleischer cartoons. And Spider-Man sucks. Can't forget that. <laughs> Uh, the cartoon is responsible for giving Superman the power of flight before he could only leap tall buildings in a single bound. But animators found that too tedious and silly looking to have Superman just jump and leap everywhere. Instead, they called DC Comics Publishing, then Action Comics at the time, and asked for permission to change the power in the cartoon. Uh, it was allowed, and soon after, comic writers eliminated leaping altogether because artists were like, yeah, that's way easier. Let's not have them keep jumping up and down all over the place. Also, way cooler. 
<laughs> than just jumping. Yeah. But for about two years, Superman did not have the ability to fly. You could only just jump around. But we always reference that. It's weird. It's just like, hey, remember those two years when Superman couldn't originally fly? Okay. Did you did you come up with an answer, Skyler? I did. I, I have your <laughs> episode uh, name there. It's called Deep Freeze. Deep Freeze. Deep Freeze. Genius billionaire Grant Walker kidnaps Mr. Freeze to freeze the world and shit. Oh, sounds good. Typical Batman episode. Um, yeah. And uh, just on a final note, the first episode of Superman, also known as The Mad Scientist, was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Subject Cartoon. Do we still have those? No, that's it's changed to short film, short documentary, animated feature, um, but that specific category, not so much. Although things like it still can be nominated. Mm-hmm. It didn't win. Walt Disney beat him. Um, I remember that distinctly because Walt Disney beat Max at almost everything. Because that's well, because you're 500 years old, so you were actually there. <laughs> that's how you remember it so distinctly. Ah, yes. Uh, I remember reading it. All right, you dickwad. Hey, I was on your side. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually pay to see a Walt Disney Fleischer Brothers beat down in some alleyway somewhere. <laughs> My goodness. I don't. Huh, I don't. Uh, I'd say the no. Fleischer Brothers were raised middle class. Walt Disney was raised in poverty on the streets. So I don't know who'd have the advantage there. That's true. He's also the devil, so he can use his anti-Semitic powers anytime he wishes. (laughs) I was sticking straight to the facts, because Disney's dad was was just a poor dude who sucked at business, and was the Fleischer Brothers' dad was a successful tailor who did, like, Suits and dresses for movie stars. I'm moderately impressed that you know this. <laughs> I read a lot of books, guys. All right. Um. So that's it for history and fun little factoids regarding the Fleischer cartoons. As we know, they ended in 1942. Um. But and so, but now they're public domain. So watch them. Honestly, I'm gonna go download them so that I can always have them with me, just to show people. Because I'm that person at a party. Let's move on to that other person. Sky. That other, that other person at the party, yes. <laughs> same, same idea, different medium. Okay, so music for the Fleischer Superman cartoons done by a chap named Sammy Timberg, apparently a frequent collaborator of the Fleischer Brothers and all their endeavors. Um, if you go back and watch the cartoons, you'll notice that so much of the music is a pretty constant. I mean, it's a, what, 10-minute uh, cartoon short. So, of course, they're going to have them uh, write the music for the whole thing. Uh, done by an orchestra, obviously. No computer-generated uh, sounds there for um, hopefully obvious reasons. And you'll also <laughs> know... Computers in the 40s? <laughs> apparently they have giant walking robots so there have been stranger things <laughs> and then one of the f- most fun things about the uh, Timberg music for the Superman cartoons is that if you watch it you'll see that the music syncs up with a lot of the action 
that's going along in the short. Uh, for example, in the first episode, there's a part where Superman is getting uh, mowed down by the mad scientist's uh, death ray or whatever it is, and he flies up and starts punching the ray back, and you'll hear just music hits for every punch he does on it, and it's like, that is some impressive old-school film scoring we don't see a whole lot of anymore. But what I'm really going to take the time for for this segment is examining the Superman theme and its impact in basically every Superman theme we've heard to date. Uh, let's take a listen to Tim Berg's theme uh, for the Fleischer Brothers Superman cartoon to get our bearings. <laughs> jazzed up i forgot to mention uh i i don't want to derail where you're going with this next skyler but we want to thank special fan tom royer for requesting this topic for our next episode uh this is our first fan requested episode and uh, this is awesome <laughs> yes uh, in this oddly placed thank you thank you for picking this one out for us. We are clearly having a lot of fun with it. All right, so back on the topic of the music theme. Now, that's that's fun, right? Are are we all in agreement that that's fun, jaunty, yes. 1940s cheese that's just Classic amazing? heroism. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's so optimistic and... Idyllic, you almost forget about the wild, wild racism going on, which may be the point. But anyway, the thing to pay attention to in and sexism. Oh, oh, yes. You know what? Not as as much as you would think. That's true. I was expecting much worse. Um, but the thing to pay attention to in the theme is the dun 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 that three note motif that you know the idea. Behind it, you can match it up with the syllables of Superman, Superman, and that's how the hook, that children is how a hook is made. That theme and that particular part of the theme is so iconic these days that it's almost impossible to find a Superman theme uh, subsequent to this that doesn't use some part of that kind of music. For example, let's uh, fast forward about 35 years to Superman's first uh, live-action film debut, like motion picture. I know that. Live-action feature film. There you go. That's all the descriptors you need. Yes. Uh, And let's listen to the also now iconic John Williams theme and see if we can spot any similarities.
Doesn't that blast you back, guys back to our early episodes? <sighs> oh, back in the days of fair use. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, if you're listening closely, there it again. There it is again. Bum bum bum. Not the same Superman. notes, but it's there. That same three-note, three-syllable callback to uh, the Superman theme. Uh, next up on our list, flash, flash forward about oh, how long was it there? Twenty years. Have a new Superman cartoon for a new generation, the '90s Superman animated theme. Let's see if they also incorporated this sound in there. Superman, Superman, oh, Superman, Superman. Superman. I just want to apologize on behalf of everyone to all of our listeners because we promised we wouldn't sing. Everyone except me sang. I'm rescinding that promise like I'm rescinding the Comics Code Authority, all right? Nobody's watching Mm. over us. One person slapped us on the wrist for it, and, you know, you're the one fan. If I get another petition that says yeah, you know, have, some like, annoying bullshit, knock it off. I guess one person is like, that's 1% of all the people who listen to this. That's uh, like 2%, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's the math. Hey, let's leave it up to Tom Royer. If he, if he appreciated our singing of the 90s Superman theme, well then, good on us. I thought we were fairly in tune with the... So... <laughs> Anyway, 90s theme. Got to add a little twist. You don't have that space in between the super. Now it's just straight to the point. Superman. Uh, And that little motif will be carried over into another Superman theme around that time. Same character, same animation, different show. It's the Batman Superman hour. And even when you add Batman into the mix... You just can't ignore that Superman motif. It's getting fainter. Well, I mean, it had it had it had Batman to sort of overshadow it. Um I wonder. Now, we're not going to pull it up now. We'll touch on it later when we get to it, because we will get to it. But in the original Justice League cartoon theme, do we return to the Superman motif when they show that 3D animated version of Superman punching through a wall partway through the theme? Guess what? Somewhere in there. I don't know if it's at that point in the theme. There is that three-note motif. They ditch it all for some hard guitar by Justice League Unlimited. Uh, debatably better. It's all about taste. Pretty much. 
I I prefer unlimited to league myself. Well, I think I think it's time that we've moved away. From, I I love tradition, but I think it's time we get a little fresh with our with our superhero themes. Especially if if we're getting darker than campy 1940s style. Yeah, uh, there's a reason I don't have the Man of Steel music on this one in that I probably couldn't pull that out because that's an old-fashioned sound, and this one's decidedly new-fashioned. So. Yeah, but lesson of the day, Sammy Timberg pretty much invented fanfare. <laughs> yeah, truth. For the super heroic generation, that is. Any more music from you? I really enjoyed this segment, Skylar, I must say. Yeah, this is this has been fun. Yeah, for like pulling it out of my ass at the last moment, this has been cool. <laughs> oh, don't flatter yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, um, uh, that's uh, basically what you want to know about both Sammy Timberg's Superman music and the Superman themes throughout the years. In a nutshell. All right, so let's move on to our next segment, Benjamin. Hey, I'm still here. He's a doing the science. Is that a right? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have too much to talk about because A, it's a cartoon. B, it's Superman. C, it was in the 40s. So all of those mixed to like at one point, even in the in the, in the pilot, the Mad Scientist, when he uses his 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 protractor ray, his death ray, that yeah. just could do whatever he wanted it to do. Because, yeah. you know, that's why. Whatever. Don't look too hard into it. But he hits a building, right? And yeah. the building just, it doesn't, like, collapse. It bends like a bowstring. <laughs> yeah. And Superman literally pushes it up and pulls it over by the antenna on the top of the yeah. building to get it to stand up again. Beautifully animated. Made my brain hurt. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you take the good with the yeah, bad. One, one thing I will say is there's a scene where, like, a suspension bridge starts collapsing, and it looks it's like wobbling all over the place and shaking back and forth, and, like, the concrete is bending. And um, that's that was, like, within the realm of possibility. Like, if you've seen video of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge falling apart, it it flexes, man. It bends in a really like scary and disturbing way. Do you think they rotoscoped the bridge? I doubt it. Um, but do you want to talk about what rotoscoping is and how it's used? Uh, I'm leaving that up to you because I glanced over the topic um, and wrote it down because it is quite essential to how everything was animated in the 40s to get that nice clean look you know because it's got that animation technique where they pretty much trace over footage frame by frame yeah so so basically what they what they did was um they used a device called a rotoscope basically what they did is they had live actors act out the scene and then the film was projected onto like a semi-transparent canvas or like a transparent easel that the animator would then They'd trace over the actor and then draw in the rest of the scene. So they got this really, and they do that frame by frame. So they got this really lifelike animation. Yeah. So it was it was a, a really neat technique, and it was actually used 
for decades. Um, decades. Literally decades. Um, up through through the eighties for sure. Holy cow! Really? Because I mean, Nim, uh, an American Tale. That st- stuff from that was rotoscoped. Um, American Tale about the mouse. Yeah. Live actors to like dress up in a mouse outfit, and they just traced well, over that. A lot of like facial animation, I'm guessing. Mm, Okay. Um, Be- because it's really hard to draw all all. Because uh, animation's frame by frame, at least right. how it used to be. So, like, when a person's body bends, you have to be able to draw that without proportions getting out of whack, because yeah. that's really easy to do. Mm-hmm. But I just obviously they couldn't rotoscope like Superman flying and like pushing a jumbo jet up mm-hmm. into the air, um, stuff like that. So they had both traditional animators and like anatomy sketching professionals like working on the scenes together to make sure that his proportions stayed right um, and the, his body didn't do anything that it shouldn't. Um, but actually, fun fact, um, rotoscoping uh, is how they did the lightsaber effect in the original Star Wars film. Explain. I- explain? Well, they they had like the if you watch like behind the scenes, the um, the lightsabers in the original um, the original trilogy were just like brightly colored, like neon colored sticks that they waved around, and then they rotoscoped the glow in later. So oh, they basically the, colored over the film in post production. Yeah, basically, but but the they used the rotoscope. It's like a machine. It's it's pretty pretty nifty. Yeah, it's it's technically not um, a machine invented. It's described as a technique because you're just taking a projector and mm-hmm. projecting it onto a thin easel. Yeah. So I mean, you're not using anything new there, uh, but at the same time, there has to be a way that you specifically point the projector onto the thin easel. Otherwise, yeah. uh, your proportions get out of whack right away because right. of the throw of your projector. So I, um, I call it a I call it a rotoscope machine because it was patented. Fleischer invented it and and patented a rotoscope device. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. did this like I don't know when the f- when when film became so regular too because he did this in 1918. All right, yeah. and like the biggest feature film. Previous to 1918 was Birth of a Nation. D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. Oh, even more racist than uh, yeah, unparalleled than, than yeah. Episode Nine. Yeah, and that yeah. so yeah, that, that, that Episode Nine, Japa Tours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Uh, but but what's so amazing about this? Like within three years, he's like, oh, that projector. All right, we're gonna do that. We're gonna modify that for our animation purposes to make absolutely stunning animation. And Disney was very jealous of this technique, and mm-hmm. like vowed not to use it, but secretly did because it was his competition. Yeah. Until he's like, gotcha with sound, motherfucker. And he, then of course, Walt Disney kept... actually did rotoscope parts of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. 
Uh, he he had made like a personal vow against it, but then relented because it's so useful of a technique. You just can't really get better than that without the use of digital technology. Yeah. Now everything's digital. Which makes things a lot easier. Yeah. And even way more realistic, too. Um, I mean, just but look at some, any... some of that modern... old-school charm. Like, that's yeah. what I loved most about this, about the 40s Fleischer cartoons. They just, they just had so much charm. And, like, you could levity. see the effort is what was mostly it. Is you, you had 250 people slaving over a cartoon. Um, there were there were union strikes, labor strikes, because uh, Fleischer had overworked them, and, and but like in the end we get this amazing representation of a iconic character. No matter what, like you don't. I always want to compare it to one of the worst cartoons on a superhero ever created, and that is Spider-Man 1967, which managed to get three seasons. But that is some of the most terrible animation you will ever see, and that came out. 25 years later. Amazing for completely opposite reasons. <laughs> yes. As in ironic reasons. As it is astoundingly awful that people let that happen. Canadian animation. <laughs> oh, that's even more racist than episode 10. Oh. I don't know what episode 10 was. Oh, it was not about World War II, so it actually wasn't. <laughs> Episode t- uh, episode ten was showdown. Yeah, I don't know. The eleventh hour was about World War Two. Yep. There you go. And that's episode- when I stopped watching because I was like, I can't, I can't deal with these caricatures for any longer. Jungle Drums is pretty good, I have to say. That's one yeah. of my favorites. Jungle Drums and uh, 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 the Bulleteers. I like the Bulleteers. <laughs> Because yeah. they were so stupid. They just flew a giant bullet plane into the bank. They didn't even rob anything. They just blew it up and then flew away. Because <laughs> <laughs> they threatened, if you don't give us money, we're going to blow it up. Uh, I don't know if it was a bank or a city hall or something, but they were just like... <laughs> and they just flew away. It was amazing. <laughs> Maybe I'll... Ooh. I'm very sleepy. Maybe I'll finish the series. <laughs> it wouldn't take much time. Any more science from you, Ben? Um, well, uh, in a week or two, we can probably talk about, uh, MRIs because <laughs> I'm, I'm getting one. All right. Yeah. For my knee. Because so you have not, cancer? Uh, likely a sprained ligament. Oh, you daredevil. I went rock climbing like three months ago and it hasn't stopped hurting, so... Oh, poor yeah, baby. I know. <laughs> if only you could leap rocks in a single bound. I know. You know what this sounds like a job for? It sounds like a job for... Trained medical professionals. <laughs> to help you recover from your inevitable bladder rupture when you drink too much playing the Superman cartoon drinking game. <laughs> a strenuous but workable segue. I appreciate yep. it. We got there. <laughs> so you have to. You have to take a drink. If not, a shot of out of a Superman shot glass, which are widely available. I have one of my own. Uh, every time Bud Collier says, this looks like a job 
for Superman, which basically is almost a, the only line he says in almost every cartoon. The greatest thing about that is when his voice just all of a sudden changes halfway through. It's like, this looks like a job for Superman. <laughs> Does that little distortion. Well, he was the voice of the Superman radio show as well, as well as Joan Alexander was the voice of Lois on the show. I'm not sure if the Perry White voice actor carried over, but uh, there was no Jimmy Olsen in the cartoon or even Lex Luthor yet. Yeah, you got to distinguish yourself when you're voicing Clark Kent and then when you're switching over to Superman. <laughs> Next one? You you got to you got to do a sake bomb when the Japanese, you know, racist stereotypes make you uncomfortable. Cuz that's what you do in the face of racism. Do something that slightly racist. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. <laughs> oh. Just, just give in. Skylar, the one to go embrace the racism. <laughs> we had no pie faces on this episode. Oh, and then you ruined it. <laughs> I'm gonna stay quiet on that one. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was funny, guys. Uh, you know, I'm. Hmm. I don't mean anything harmful. Yeah, we know. <laughs> None of us are actually actually racist. Right. We've come a long way since 1942. Yeah. That we have. <laughs> so find your Japanese friend and drink with them while you watch this. Give <laughs> <laughs> their approval. Oh, make sure that your friend is also 21. Um, whenever Lois does anything, you have to debate whether or not it was brave or stupid and how far feminism has come due to that action. And then develop drinking rules on the fly as you go. It's a very cerebral game. Like, what if it's both? Like, in the very first episode, she just flies a plane all of a sudden to the dude's island fortress castle scary place and just knocks on the door. It's like, I'm a reporter, yoink. (laughs) I wonder how many of the greatest generation who would have been, you know... Kids when this came out now have a bondage fetish because of Lois Lane. She does get wrapped up a lot. She gets Um, tied up like every other episode. That is true. You know, not as bad as Wonder Woman, but that's because that character was literally created by a guy with a bondage fetish. Her weapon is a rope. Uh, Her weakness is if her hands are bound by a man, she loses all her powers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, guys, if you look at the original transcriptions of the Golden Age Trinity, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, you'll see a lot of things that look weird, all right, and have been changed and probably were changed in either the 70s or the 80s for good reason. Beacon of feminism, people. Beacon of feminism. Beacon of feminism, Wonder Woman, beacon of progressivism, Superman, and beacon of self-resilience, Batman. Everybody's got their thing. Before I forget, I just have to mention that one scene where Clark is at the the jewelry exhibit with the gems in the robot episode. And then he's like, Lois, what are you doing here? He was like so angry. He was so angry. I I didn't know what to do. It's like she hasn't done anything. (laughs) 
make sure you <laughs> drink and don't beat your children. That'll be the rule there. Or your wife. Um, yeah, don't beat anybody. Yeah, that's, that's also well, Mario unless Kart. it's a, a a dirty Japanese man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I'm I have a theory that in the episode Japatours, like the the Japanese hijacker pilot guy, the, like the main villain in that one. Mm-hmm. Like at first, I thought that Superman straight up murdered him <laughs> because we see Superman punch him in the head. And then he doesn't show up for the rest of the episode. Like, usually they make a point to show, like, the villain, like, being arrested, whatever, like, walking around and then getting recaptured or stuff. But we never see him again. So I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, and this is going to sound racist, but I'm pretty sure that Superman murdered him because he was Japanese. Well, because he was fighting a war and he was American and the Japanese were the enemy. Yeah. They killed already so many of our good old boys because all of part two of the Fleischer famous Superman cartoons were World War II par- propaganda. And that's when they kind of jumped the shark. A little bit. Yeah. The animation was still great. Finish your drink when they jump the shark. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to propose, as far as the racism drinking goes, do it incrementally because, like, even with the first episode, the mad scientist, uh, you saw it, it was like, he was kind of uncomfortable. He's got the squinty eyes, the, the kind of, you know, paler yellow skin, and it's like, okay, I, I get the insinuation, and then just by the time you get to Japanemies or Japatours. Japatours, thank you. It's like okay. I like Japan. I like Japan like Japanese. I don't can't pronounce it how you did, but I like that one better. <laughs> Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> yeah, once you hit that point, just the cap does not go back on the bottle. <laughs> Superman Fleischer cartoons were certainly a product of their time, but also a technical masterpiece. And due to be recognized by their campy sci-fi action. And then eventually, let's not forget that World War II was happening at the time. We were fresh into some serious propaganda. Yeah. Because uh, it was meant to inspire. Basically, all all media was, was doing this kind of stuff. There are actually these three big compendiums of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, the Warriors. Not the Warriors, but the War Years. Oh. That chronicle, like, all those comics. It's it's pretty impressive. So, just always got to take a look at things with a glint of history. But at the same time, appreciate how much this has influenced all the things that we deem to be our childhood. The 90s Batman cartoon the 90s Superman cartoon, pretty much everything in the Timverse, because Bruce Tim has said that these, his main influence was the Superman cartoons. Oh, uh, I wonder if, like, in 60 years, like, people will be, like, doing their podcasts about superhero movies, like, a century from now, and they'll watch, like, Iron Man and be like, oh, man, like, Drink during the crude Arab stereotypes because all the villains are Arab. <laughs> Except for Ironmonger. Well, you know what I mean. Except though. the main one. <laughs> yeah, the main Except villain. At the beginning, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, talk about, well, maybe business moguls will become a stereotype. 
eventually we'll flip our lid on that. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe they've been really, wrong. The military industri- yeah. <laughs> the military industrial complex isn't already a stereotype in superhero movies. That's what I mean. Maybe we are all wrongly accusing them. Uh, I doubt it, but maybe we are. Uh, it's just all about perspective. You can't really look at the times that we're currently in. It's hard to, Pinch at the least. the bottle when you finally accept that all media is a product of its time. <laughs> also, you know, take a drink when, um, all thanks to Superman, wink. <laughs> and with that, I think that's a good ending note for our fantastic episode tonight, Superfans. Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. Don't let any lingering thoughts that you might think were racist influence your ability to rate us correctly on iTunes. Uh, just a thought. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, we... <laughs> Our, our website is uh, triopcop.com, T-R-I-O-P-C-O-P-D-O-T-C-O-M. I spelled out dot, but it's just a full Wait, stop. I was say, hold on. <laughs> I messed up. Um, we'll be hosting our podcast there. We'll have forums. We're going to, we, like we said, we're one week away from the spring break because um, we're going to have our mailbag, mailbag next week answer some questions, uh, hear what Tom Royer might have to say about this episode or um, what others thought of other episodes as well as uh, give Twitter Tom a chance to read off anything he's found entertaining. Um, But after that, we'll have our two-week spring break and hopefully have the website fully or at least partially fully functional. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So in the meantime... Um, hit me up on my Instagram, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. And the Twitter will still be there, as we've alluded to. We have our esteemed Twitter Tom running the show on that side. At Super M Studies. Did I get that right? Yes. Great. Send us your questions, comments, concerns, and just general observations of racism within the Fleischer Superman cartoons, and we'll read them on the air. Thank you for that extra modifier. Um, and yeah, and also remember, like, we're doing this episode out of order because we've been going down the line uh, typically because it was suggested to us by one of our fans. And we want to do that for any of you guys. Yeah. If there's anything that you want to see us talk about on the show, just say, hey, um... I really want to do this. Mad maybe Max, really want, uh, Howard the Duck. Maybe you really want the the, the 1960s Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah. Because you hate us. I we'll don't know. Su- yeah, we'll suffer through but, for you. Because you said that you listen to our show, and that means a world to us. We will sit through Snowman's taking over New York City uh, in the Spider-Man cartoon for no. you. Yes, yes we will. Snowman's or Snowmen? It doesn't matter. They probably said snowmans in the cartoon because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. I hope so. Canadian animation. That'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Taylor Hutzma. And Ben Anderson. And we all hope you have a super week. 
Bye. Thanks to Superman. Wink. <laughs>